Tonight, uh, we're going to see a study about um, David, he's king, and I don't know, there's some type of plan, they're trying to take him down, take him out, make him run away, and basically what that would do is bring in wickedness rather than righteousness, and I think what that would do at the end of the day is it, it, it would do a lot of damage in Israel. Now, I was, just think, I was just thinking about this, you guys, because I don't know how you feel. You know, maybe you're here today and you think, man, I don't really mean much. I don't make much of a difference. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny how that works as Christians, because in, in one sense, you know, we don't, we're weak, we're wicked, we're unable and unworthy. But on the other, on the other, in another sense, you do. Your life, your life, can be the difference to so many people when you follow the Lord. You know, David, you know, he was king and and God, he loved the Lord and God raised him up and he had faith and it is such a great work. And and so, you know, the enemy is trying to take him down. What if he did go down? What if he did run away from his calling? A lot of people would have been affected by that. And so this is a, a really important psalm. It, it, and it's a psalm for an individual. It's a psalm for a family. It's a psalm for a ministry. It's a psalm for even a country. You know, because uh, even nations need to stand on the righteousness of God. Any of you guys here been to Hawaii out of curiosity? Then you'd be willing to admit it in front of everybody. <laughs> How many of you want to go? Okay, <laughs> I'm just joking. You know, uh, I'd like to actually begin this evening by showing you uh, the instructive motto of the state of Hawaii. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this motto right here, but it's a result of the influence of the Protestant uh, presence there in Hawaii. When they first came, I guess it was in 1820, and uh, it has a, a, a writing on there. It says, Ua, Maua, Kei, Ia, O, Kai, Aima, Ai, Kai, Pono. You guys know Hawaiian, right? And um, <laughs> I'm speaking in tongues. Uh, no, seriously. What it means, it says the life of the land is preserved in righteousness. Think about that. The life of the land is preserved in righteousness. You know, and how many states have that motto or something like that? You know, obviously this is a Christian influence. And, you know, it's just so cool because it's true, isn't it, right? I mean, again, not just a, a nation, but a family, an individual really the preservation for us to stay in the perfect will of God and be blessed by Him is uh, what we would call righteousness, both imputed and imparted. And so we're going to see that in tonight's study. We're going to see David, the king of Israel, cling to the Lord by faith, hold his ground, uh, his godliness, even though the enemy was trying to scare him away. You know, and as a result of that, the whole nation was blessed. Look what we read in Psalm 11. It says, To the chief musician, a a psalm of David, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird uh, to your mountain? You know, John Corson said, uh, The 11th Psalm is Faith's response to fierce advice. You know, fear says run away. Fear says quit, split, make like a a tree, you know, and leave, right? That's what fear says. 
You know, and, and I don't know what your post is in the kingdom of God. But all of us here, we have a calling. You know, I think it starts with our family. You know, dad, you got to be there. Husband, you got to be there. Wife and, you know, those posts that we have. And sometimes the presence even of family members is void. You know, we have to make sure that we stay where we belong. We don't run away. You know, uh, and then it goes on beyond family. It goes into ministry. And at the end of the day, what we find, even today, I think statistics tell us that 70% of children are now being raised in homes without their dad. That's crazy. So I, I don't know what your post is. I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your calling is or your place in the body of Christ. But I will say this. Be there. Don't run away. Don't go away. Don't disappear. You know, you might be afraid right here. They're trying to make David afraid, like, you know, a bird, run away, fly away to your mountain. And, and David's like, you know what? I don't, I don't think that's right. I mean, at the bottom line is it can happen. I think it happens a lot. It can happen to the best of us. You know, one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible is Elijah. Elijah was is such a cool guy. You know, um, and, and it happened to him. It's interesting. This guy right here, he called fire down from heaven when he had the battle on Mount Carmel against 450 prophets of Baal, wanting to prove to them that the Lord was God, wanting to bring a whole nation back to God. And, and God gave him a great victory there after the, the whole uh, fire coming down. They went and they took him down to the river. They executed the prophets of Baal. And then after that, he told King Ahab, don't, don't, King Ahab, don't worry, you go. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. And then rain came down because he prayed between his knees seven times. I mean, it was just a great victory. It was a great victory. But then what happened was after the rain came, Ahab went to his palace and he talked with his wife. Her name is Jezebel. And he told Jezebel everything that happened. And Jezebel said, you know, uh, bottom line is, it, I'm going to kill this guy. It, the, the gods do so to me and more also. Deal severely with me if I don't kill Elijah by tomorrow. That's basically what she said. And so if that were you, what would you do? You just called fire down from heaven. You just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. You just brought down rain after three and a half years of drought attributed to your prayer. And then some chick says she's going to take you down. What would you do? I mean, come on. You know, but you know what he did? He ran away. He ran away. He ran for his life. He ran from Mount Carmel all the way down to Beersheba. He ran away over a hundred miles away. I mean, his mission was Israel. But he was now in the southern kingdom. He was now in Judah. And at the end of the day, he didn't belong there. You know, and you wonder, well, how did that happen? I mean, seriously, I mean, how did he run away from a, a woman? You know, no offense, ladies, but, you know, Elijah was, he was a, a bad dude. I mean, he brought fire down multiple times. And you want to know how it happened? Because Jezebel was deeply demonic. You know, I mean, 
it was kind of like the greatest battle that he could ever experience. And you guys know about Jezebel, man. She was just full on Satan herself. And so, you know, Elijah, he ran away. And then you guys remember the story. God then started talking to him as he ran away. And God asked him, what are you doing here? Elijah, what, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then, and then finally the Lord, and then, you know, you can read the story in 1 Kings 19. The Lord just said this, and it's interesting, and I don't know how you feel about this, but this is what the Lord said. You know, go anoint the, the king of Syria, go anoint the, anoint the king of Israel, and go anoint the man who is going to replace you. And I don't know. I mean, if you really think that one through, if you really think that one through, you know, what would have happened to Israel if Elijah had stayed? I think it would have been a completely different story. But, you know, the fear for his life and the darkness of Satan himself, not spiritually strong, probably not, you know, overconfident. I don't know what it was. And he ran away. And I think in one sense, he missed a great opportunity. You know, I mean, when you look at this, uh, to me, I think that happens and a lot. And, you know, thank God we have examples in the Bible of victories uh, Nehemiah, do you guys remember his story? Nehemiah was building the walls. And in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verses 10 through 15, it talks about how they also uh, said, Hey, Nehemiah, you know, they, 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 you know let's meet in the temple. Um, let's lock the sanctuary doors because they want to kill you. And you guys remember Nehemiah? He said, I'm not going to do that. What are you talking about? He said, that would be, uh, that would be a disgrace for me to run away from the work that God has called me to do. And it's so interesting, when you go back in that very section, it says, and so he finished the wall in 52 days. Why? Because he was not frightened away by the enemy. I mean, the enemy's going to come and try to make us afraid. He tried to do that to Jesus in Luke 13, 31 and 32. It says at that time, some Pharisees came up and said to Jesus, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. But he said to them, go and tell that fox, look, I'm casting out demons, performing healings today and tomorrow. And then on the third day, I will complete my work. I mean, you know, the, the, the Lord said, I, I'm not going to allow you to scare me, frighten me away you know, saying you got to get out of Perea, you got to get out of the, the, the region of Herod, you know, because I have work to do. And, and so for us, I, I think we have to have that same mentality. You know, this psalm, it basically reminds us not to be afraid and to finish the work that God has called us no matter what. You know, I, I was reading a story about that Scottish uh, Presbyterian minister John Welsh, in the 1600s, he was persecuted. He was put in prison. Then when they finally came to get him out of prison to face the, the, the trial that would banish him, it says that when he and the guys went to the, the court, uh, the trial, that they were singing this psalm. 
they were singing this psalm. You know, it's a beautiful psalm. Look again. It's the psalm of David to the chief musician. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird uh, to your mountain? For, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. He says, if the foundations are destroyed, then what can the righteous do? And I remember one time we were scheduled to go on a missions trip to Mexico. And, and again, not trying to come down on anybody, but someone said they had a dream that something bad was going to happen. And so they suggested for us not to go on the missions trip. And so, you know, a couple people started pulling out. And, and, and it was just the enemy trying to scare us. We went anyways, and it was a blessing. You know, I, and I can think of different things. You know, in, in Cambodia, I remember one time, I think it was in a Jeep. I'm not sure if it was in a Jeep that we were in. If it wasn't in a Jeep, it should have been in a Jeep. But I remember going through this crazy road to Vietnam and thinking we're going to fall over the... I, uh, part of me wants to say, dude, let's just go back. This is not smart. You know, but you gotta, you got to face those fears. In, in Nepal recently, we went on this crazy bus ride. And it was, uh, you know, in Nepal... That's where um, the tallest mountain in the world is, right? Um, what's the name of it again? Mount Everest? Yeah. Remember, Elizabeth? It was crazy. It was crazy. I felt like we were going to fall over. And I'm like, what in the world, Lord, am I allowing us to do this for? You know, but then when you get there to the top of the mountain, you see the view and you see people come to Christ. And then you realize, you know what? You don't have to be afraid. You know, I remember when I was praying about whether or not to ask my wife to marry me. You know, I was, I was afraid, but I faced it. And, you know, I'm pretty glad that I ended up with her, man. I'm, I'm super blessed. Bottom line is, at the end of the day, she is the perfect one for me. But I was a little afraid. But, you know, fear, I don't know, man. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is facing your fears by faith. And that's what we have to do. The enemy will try to frighten you away in different ways, but don't let him. You know? I mean, here we see apparently an attack against David and his cabinet was in the making. Uh, someone was planning to get rid of the godly influences in the kingdom. And it's interesting because it's not just David. The word flee in the Hebrew language is plural. And so they're, you know, telling, hey, you guys got to go away. They were trying to take over the country. That's what was going on. And so, you know, if that happens in verse 3, he's like, well, what happens if they take away the foundations of righteousness, right? Look again at verse 3. This is what they're trying to do. The enemy is trying to take, you know, the nation away. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, what happens to the guy, the gal, the gang, the government that doesn't have God? You know, what happens to that person, that body of believers or that building when the very foundation is bad? You know, what happens to them? You know, Psalm 89, 14 is a, is a good psalm. It says righteousness and, and justice are the foundation of your throne. You know, I'm thinking about Jesus' uh, sayings over in Matthew uh, 7. I was thinking about it when I was studying there. I thought it might be good to turn there to Matthew 7. And you guys remember the Sermon on the Mount 
what a beautiful sermon that Jesus preached. Uh, you know, regarding you know us and the way we're to live our life and just the way that we will get blessed. And I'll, and I'll say this to you over and over again, that at the end of the day, um, when you get to know God, you fall in love with God. When you fall in love with God, you're going to obey God. When you obey God, you're going to be blessed by God. Is God blessing you? Are you being blessed? You're like, yeah, I got a lot of money. Oh, is that blessing? Sometimes that money is not necessarily a, a blessing. I mean, sometimes it's better to have beans and rice and Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, we got filet mignon or whatever. We got the, the nice threads or wheels or house. So I don't know, man. Being in the perfect will of God where you don't run away from the calling that God has placed you in. Your life makes a difference just like David's did. And it would affect the whole country. Whatever you do, don't let the enemy think that while well, my absence is really not a big deal. Absolutely not. You know, and this is just a, me. I sit back there in the back row and I'm watching all you guys flow in. And, you know, don't think I'm weird. Hopefully you don't think I'm weird. But I see every single one of you and I think, what a blessing to see them here. You know, and so Matthew 7 in verse 24 you guys know this. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was his fall. And so, so Jesus here is talking about the foundation that, that we're building on. You know, and he's giving things that are the common between all Christians. We're all building, you know, um, and, and what you find, you know, we've all heard. That's what we read right there. You know, um, and we're all going to experience the storms. Some of you here, you think you, you're in the storm and it's just sprinkling. The storm is coming, my friend. And if you have not been obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not been sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit who is telling us how to live life as a Christian, then when that storm comes, Jesus said, then you're going to fall and great will be that fall. And, you know, as a pastor, I've seen so many things happen. And so, you know, back in, in Psalms, and he's just asking the question, he's saying, man, if the foundation isn't right, I mean, in verse 3, uh, if that foundations are destroyed, then, then what can the righteous do? You know, verse 4, it's interesting, you know, because governments can be overthrown, um, but it's so comforting to know that God's throne can't be overthrown. And from His throne, really, He, he sits there to protect us 
and direct us and, and perfect us. Look what we read in verse 4. It says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous. You know, the Lord is on the throne of heaven in complete control of all that's going on on earth. And according to what we read right here, uh, he sees everything. He sees everyone. Did you guys know that? Did you guys know that God sees you right now? You guys can all wave. Or better yet, bow down, huh? I mean, He sees us. It's a, it's a kind of a humbling thing. Um, the Bible says in Job 31.4, Does He not see my ways and count all my steps? I mean, He sees you like you wouldn't even imagine. Think about it. Every single step. He's aware of uh, Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. You know, sometimes we think God is far away, and he's not. Jeremiah 23 and 23 and 24, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? says the Lord. And so he sits on his throne, complete control of all the universe and all the earth and all the people and all our steps. And he sees us. He sees everything about us. And, uh, you know, like, it's, he doesn't need Wi-Fi or anything like that. You know, we had a, a crisis at our house because the Wi-Fi was down for a day. Pray for us. <laughs> you know, but the Lord, he doesn't need Wi-Fi because the interesting thing is, is although he's still on the throne, he fills heaven and earth. I mean, you know, He's here. Now, I don't know what that does to you. I don't know what the omnipresence or imminence of God does to you. But what it's intended to do is to comfort you. But it's also to, intended to correct us, you know. Um, Psalm 119, 168, it says, I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I try to live an obedient life because I know I'm living and walking and breathing and speaking and thinking in the presence of God. And one day I'll give an account. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There, it has a way of, of changing your life. It has a way of maybe even changing the tone of voice in which you would speak to your loved ones. Uh, there's a movie out there. I don't know if it's still out in the, in the theaters. And I don't know all the details about it. I just remember it was about um, this gal who went to work for a company. And the company was trying to get the, the I don't know, the world to have everyone under cameras. Everyone under constant surveillance. Maybe some of you saw that movie. I, I, again, I don't know the details on it. But um, we already have that. I mean, of course now in the world there's a lot of cameras. So you better be cool. But, you know, um, the Lord sees everything. Everything. And so it comforts us, but hopefully it also corrects us. You know, that's what we see uh, David is trying to, to teach here. And, and he's also teaching that God's not just watching on us. He, he's working on us. Look again at verse 5. It says, 
The Lord tests the righteous. He tests us. And, and, and the thing I, I like about that is that, you know, he, he's basically working on us. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's conforming us into the image of his son. He doesn't give up on us. Aren't you glad about that? I've been a Christian now for a long time, since 1989, and I, I still am a work in progress. But I, I, over the years, I have seen changes. And I'm, and I'm even recently still you know, seeing changes, but God is testing. And, and what that word means is reveals and refines. That word is in reference to the way that he deals with us, he disciplines us, he spanks us, he allows us to go through trials in order that we might come forth as gold. You know, Wiersbe said, the Lord tests the righteous to bring out the best in us. When we trust the Lord in the difficulties of life, our trials work for us and not against us. And so as you're going through the, the, the hard times, something that might make you afraid, uh, what we read here in, in verse 1 is in the Lord, I put my trust. And as you go through the trial and you trust the Lord, you'll come forth as a gold. That's what Job said. See, the way that we're going to see the contrast here, the way that the Lord deals with his people, the righteous, and the way that the Lord deals with the wicked Because look at verse 5 again. It says, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Remember what we read earlier about them bending their bows and they're ready to shoot. And I bet you it wasn't the first time they killed. God sees that. That's what we're seeing right here. Murder was in their heart. And the Lord sees all that. The Bible teaches that because, you know, God is trying to make a change. You know, right here it's interesting. It says that the Lord hates that, right? The Lord hates the sinner. And and the thing that we see, he hates the wicked. It's not that he hates necessarily the person But he hates the sin, right? He hates it for the way that it hurts others and the way that it brings judgment upon themselves, right? A lot of people ask, well, why do you read stuff like this, Manny? Why do you guys talk about, you know, fire and brimstone and and judgment and and coals of of fire and, you know, the portion? They they say in the Hebrew language, it's in reference to a cup that, that would kill And the easy answer is because God doesn't want anyone to go there. You know, those who do end up in hell essentially have to travel over God's dead body. They have to dig their way through the mountain of God's love because he died for us on the cross in order that we might go to heaven and not hell. Therefore, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And so, you know, we got to talk about this because just in case there's anyone here who has never really, truly given their life to Christ, you got to understand that He wants you to know Him. And He wants you to be in heaven forever and ever. You know, have you given your life to Christ, right? 
Now, some people ask, well, then why doesn't God just look the other way? Why doesn't he just allow sin into heaven? Why can't he just do that? And the answer is there in verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And his countenance beholds the upright. You see, the reason why God can't just allow anyone in to heaven, you know, he can't allow sin in, is because of his overriding attribute of holiness. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 6 and Revelation chapter 4 in verse 8 that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness and only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God. And so, you know, you see this psalm and, and, and you know, you, you want to make a difference and, and then, you know, you're wondering, well, how can I be righteous? Because last time I checked, I, I don't have a lot. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.10 says it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Um, Isaiah 64.6 says our righteousness is like filthy rags. How can I make it in? And, and I think the answer, and well, those of us who are Christians, we know again it's there in verse 1, just trust in Christ. You know, trust in Christ and, and if I could say this to you, you know, it's cool seeing you guys, you know, coming to church service. I, I, I think that when people start missing church, they fall away. You know, and, and maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, and I'm not speaking in tongues, you know, and I'm, I'm not raising the dead and, and you know, whatever. I'm not this perfect person. But thank God you're a Christian. You know, God will deal with us. But I, I thank God that you're still coming to church service, man. Because, and I don't know what your theology is. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, ah, it can never happen to me. You know, but I see people fall away. And it breaks my heart. That's why we got to come. And, and and I tell people just to believe on, on the Lord Jesus Christ always. Believe on Him till the day you die. And just know that His blood, it really does, you know, cover your sins. How many of you here are grateful for that? You know, how many of you here are all messed up? You're a mess. You, and I see some of you, you are a mess covered in God's righteousness. You're a pearl of great price. That's what the Bible says. And you know what a pearl is? It's a piece of dirt <laughs> covered with this beautiful secretion that comes out of, what is it, a clam or an oyster? One of those things, a clam. That's what we are, you know, because we are under the lamb. I, 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 I was going through this whole thing of righteousness and I want to close with this. We could have the musicians come up. Um, it's interesting, you know, the Bible says, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You know, that, that last part of verse 7, it says, the upright will see his face. The upright will experience his favor. In other words, God will look on us with favor and one day we're going to be in heaven, we're going to see his face, Right? And the reason is, is because we have placed our faith in Christ. And I love that passage over in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, now then, 
We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Maybe you're here today and you're, you just think, man, I'm all messed up. I, I don't think God would accept me. I've done this and I've done that. To be honest with you, you know, Pastor Man, I didn't even want to go tonight. You know, they're forcing me to go and there's no way God would accept me. Let me tell you something, man. God will accept you. No matter who you are, He died for you because He loves you. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And when, when the Lord comes into your life, He changes you. He breathes on you. He gives you life. He gives you a hunger for Him. This is so awesome when the Lord really comes in. And so, you know, I, I thought it was cool. You guys remember we started today in Hawaii? Remember we started this study in Hawaii? Now we're going to travel over to China. Any of you guys ever been to China? Some of you have. It's pretty cool. We have a picture right here. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. This is the Chinese character for righteousness. Now, the Chinese language was actually uh, invented 5,000 years ago. We know the writing right here. And isn't it interesting how it's a combination of two words, the lamb and me. And, and the lamb is over me. And, and I researched this because I didn't want to give you this to you guys if I didn't know for sure it was true. This is true and this is amazing. That when the Lamb of God is over me, I am righteous. One day I'm going to die. Hopefully I finish the work that God's given me to do. But one day I'll be in His presence and I will see His face. Isn't that cool? I pray, you guys, God will stir us up.